0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this broadcast. We are so glad that you are able to join us today. We go back to Romans chapter 1 today. Please note verses 24, 26, and 28 teaches us some truths that we dare not miss. Number one. A depraved mind is a judgment from God. Number two. Society is continuously spiraling downward into more and more evil. This spiral can only be broken by God's grace and Christ's cross. The act of God taking his hands off of an individual is a very serious and a very damning judgment. It is actually an outpouring of God's wrath, and now with his message is our pastor Robert Elliot. The
1: sixth way people suppress God's truth to review is you suppress the truth by having a depraved mind, which includes depraved thoughts, words, actions, and approvals. Now let me tell you what a depraved mind is. The uh, Greek here is adokimas. Adokimas is the mind. A rejected after a trial mind, a failing the test mind, a disqualified mind, a useless mind, and a reprobate mind. That's a depraved mind. And all the while, the person who has a depraved mind presents him or herself as sophisticated, educated, superior. But God says they have a depraved mind. They've been given over to a depraved mind. And will you please notice that the depraved mind leads to improper, unrighteous, wicked, greedy, evil, murderous, self-ridden, deceitful, malicious, verbally poisoned, blasphemous, disrespectful, arrogant, proud, perverted, reckless, foolish, backstabbing, unloving, unmerciful, and deserving of death deeds. You have a polluted mind, then what you think is polluted, what you approve is polluted, what you say is polluted, what you value is polluted. And so much for Norman Vincent Peale's great pronouncement of a bygone day that every day and every way people are getting better and better. God says that is ludicrous. That is ludicrous. So with me, are you seeing the devolution of society in all this? Are you tracking the downward spiral for mankind in all of this? Are you seeing that when God takes his hand off of a rebel who suppressed the truth, that it is a damning and serious judgment to be given over to your sin? And so we need to realize there's some children here tonight, and I'm glad. We need to realize that we do not live and work and raise our families and serve our Lord on a level playing field. We live and we work today and we raise our families and serve the Lord today in quicksand. Question five, last question. What is God's revealed wrath being given over to more and more sin? God's revealed wrath, according to this passage, is being given over to more and more sin. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. What is God's revealed wrath? It's being given over to more and more sin. You know, hands off the wheel can lead to collision. And no fences can lead to roadkill. And no rules can lead to overdoses. And no purity can lead to STDs and abortion. And no arrest can lead to sociopathic crime. And no service to others can lead to suicide and self-absorption. And no self-control and commitment can lead to divorce and child custody battles. Oh, to be sure the bottom line in this message is that God taking his hands off of you is a very severe and damning judgment. It's a deserved judgment. It's an outpouring of divine wrath judgment. So let me wrap up this sermon with that's been on the condemnation of those who suppress the truth. Let me bring to conclusion this spiritual-inspired treatise or argument on the devolution of mankind. The writer of the beloved hymn Amazing Grace, John Newton was a violent, crass, immoral slave driver and traitor no sin was below him then he was converted then he was made gloriously to be new in christ and this transformed reprobates redeemed and holy life argues from the past a most encouraging truth which is the second bottom line of this sermon sin's downward spiral can be broken by god's grace Sin's downward spiral can only be broken by God's grace. Society around us may in fact be quicksand, yet individuals' lives can be stabilized and sanitized and sanctified such that they bring glory to God. If I opened this up to testimonies, there would be people, the precious people in here who have been totally transformed by the grace of God and the salvation in Jesus Christ from what you used to be. Totally new. Magnificently new. Oh yes, sins downward spiral in the person who suppresses God's truth can be broken by God's grace, by God's gospel and by God's son. The cross work of Christ lifts God's wrath off of the redeemed, and truth can once again be showcased where people once suppressed it. My mother says after conversion she laughed. She laughs over what she cried about and she cries now about what she used to laugh about. And with the gospel of Christ and God's grace, the creature can bow down to the creator. And revelation can trump reasoning. Because of the crosswork of Jesus Christ, idols can be thrown away, never to be picked up again. Because of the gospel, sinful desires can be brought into check. Because of the gospel, a depraved mind can morph into a Christ honoring mind. Because of the gospel, God's hands of judgment can be on your life again in blessing to lead you and to hold you and to guide you into his will and purpose for your life. Does that describe you? I trust it does. In 1636, that's a long time ago. In 1636 a group of puritans founded Harvard University. Its motto was Christo a Ecclesia, which means for Christ and the church. Harvard was founded by puritans for Christ and the church. One of the school's guiding principles back then was this, everyone shall consider the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, John 17, 3. Harvard was started by Puritans for Christ and for the church. Their central motto was everyone shall consider the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life that prestigious center of learning and culture has long since abandoned its original spiritual intent. Even many Harvard Divinity School faculty members now regard its Christ-centered goal as narrow-minded and outdated. In fact, not long ago, a group of Harvard students staged a mock funeral procession through the Divinity School. They carried a coffin and proclaimed, Our God, the Father, is dead. You know, Harvard is a microcosm, a miniature of all of mankind. God gives over those who persist in rejecting him and suppressing his truth. God gives over those rebels. Dear Heavenly Father, but for your grace, we would be rebels. But for your salvation, we would be evolutionists. We would be sinners, proud of our sin but for your word that we take as inspired and accurate, we would be taking sides that we would want approval to that your word is against. And so, Lord, we pray for the people we know and perhaps love that suppress the truth tonight. We pray that we would be able to cull out of this passage what you would have us to think about and to pray about and to speak about to them. Lord, thanks for showing yourself in the word and thanks for drawing us to yourself for salvation by the spirit of god thanks for putting your hands on us and lifting off of us your wrath which we so deserved thank you lord jesus and we shall say that for all of eternity in heaven thank you lord jesus and we pray in his beautiful name father for his
0: glory alone amen Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas in another edition of Youth Talk. And today we want to continue on our series on more than the hashtag. And we're going to continue where we left off talking about do something. And I think so many times, again, as we consider our lives, we like to talk. There's a lot of people who like to talk. There's a lot of people who like to uh, go on social media and complain to different businesses. And, you know, in fact, as you consider... Um, today's society, even in, in our, the Bahamas, we have a whole Facebook page that was just geared toward 242 places to complain. Instead of sometimes going to the businesses, and sometimes some businesses want you to come to them so they can know exactly what's going on, but yet, so many times we just hide behind our computers and hide behind a hashtag and don't get involved. And today we want to continue on looking at do something and one of the great verses, and, and a lot of people would say that they love these verses, and they're challenging verses for us in Micah six six eight, 8 And last week, like I said, we talked about how we are God's workmanship, His masterpiece to do good works. Micah six six eight 8 says this, What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before Him with burnt offerings, with a year old cast? Would the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams or with ten thousand streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires you to act justly, to love faithfulness and to walk humbly with your God. You see, the Bible has a lot to say about people of God who are called and sent to do good works. We are given a mission by God himself. As part of the mission, we are commanded over and over again to fight, to make wrong things right in this world. That's what we mean when we say justice. One of the most well-known parts of Scripture on the subject in the Old Testament book called Micah. Micah was a prophet of God who God sent to call out the unjust rules of the day, fight for the victims of injustice, and rally God's people to fight for change. You see, as we consider what we just read and we consider the text, we need to understand that it was common back then for Jews to make Sacrifices and offerings to God at the temple. These sacrifices were designed to please God. In verses 6 and 7 of the passage, that's what Micah was pointing out. You try to please God by giving all these sacrifices. You know. And, and I think that when we consider today's society, yes, we don't sacrifice animals, we don't sacrifice things, but we, even in our own selves, try to do so many things to earn God's favor. You know, coming to church is a great thing. And you need to come, you need to go to church to grow in your relationship with God. But one thing we one thing to understand is that God is not just gonna judge you by your church attendance. So many times people think, oh, I was in the church. Every time the doors were open and I did this thing and I did that thing, I did that thing, this thing, and I, you know, and it goes on. And then notice a the key word there, I did this. And I think that's too many times where people fall in the trap of of, of the church. You know, I did this. Instead of, you know what, I did this for the glory of God. This is why I did this. The motivation was not so that I get a pat on my back, but the motivation was to say, hey, this is what God, I'm doing this for God, and that's all that matters. And and we need to understand, just as this passage is talking about, talking about how people would think that the, the offerings they gave were so pleasing in God's eyes. And that God, that been somehow because of what they gave, they would find favor with God. But God was looking for so much more than that. And He's looking for so much more even in our own lives. Again, as I, I think of a church, and I think of sometimes we look at even coming to to a, a Bible study or whatever, or as in consider youth group, you know, we, we do it because that's what's expected and that looks good. But it, what God wants us, and He requires this of us, that first of all, we need to act justly. That He wants us to recognize that he, he doesn't just want us to just look at what the world is saying, that this is the thing to do, but he wants us to, to be different. You see, Micah says something that's very countercultural in verse 8. God doesn't care about all of that. Instead, he says, instead of making a ton of showy sacrifice at the temple, Michael told God's people that God would rather have them live out their faith mm-hmm. and that results in justice, mercy, and humility. You see, God isn't looking for a faith that comes to church, says the right things, believes the right things, and does the right rituals. He's looking for a faith that goes outside the four walls and makes a difference in the world. He's calling us to do something. He's calling us to be more than just a hashtag. You see, again, we can hide behind our computers. We can hide behind all these things. But he wants us to do something. He wants us to act justly. And I think that when we consider you know, as we consider what God requires, you know, just a a note that I have in one of my Bible says, Mankind, He has told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfully, and to walk humbly. Walking with God denotes an active habit, a communion in the common movements of the day. Some bow humbly before God in the hour of prayer. Others sit humbly in His presence at the time of meditation. And others work themselves up to draw near to God in seasons of religious excitement, but as he, as as the the writer in the, in the Spurgeon Study Bible said, he said this. But all this falls short of walking with God. Walking is a common pace, an ordinary rate of progress, and it does not seem require great effort. But then it is a practical working rate at which one can continue on and on, by making a day's journey by the time the sun is set down. So walking with God means being with God always. Being with Him in common things. Being with Him on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as well on the Sabbath. It means on being with Him in the shop, with Him in the kitchen, with Him in the field, feeling the presence of buying and selling, and weighing and measuring and plowing and reaping, doing as for the Lord the most common acts of life. What a testimony. What a way to look at it that we do everything with God. We do life with God. We do you know, our Mondays, our Tuesdays, our Wednesday, our Thursday, our Friday, our Saturday. Not just our Sunday with God, but every day is with God. And I think that sometimes we fall into the trap because we think that we've given God and, and we've given him enough on a Sunday. Well, I came to church for three, four hours. I did this for God. I did, you know, I, I sang today. I, you know, was a part of this, this ministry. But you see, God doesn't just want that. He wants us to walk with him. and I think that's a very key because when we walk with God, we're not sprinting. We're not trying to get it done quickly, but we're trying to walk with him. We're trying to do life with him. And I would, I would challenge you as we close this session that we would recognize that life is just more than just what we do on a Sunday or for the church. When we say we do life, we do life with God. And we do it the best of our ability with his help. And that's what we need to understand that when we say we're doing life with God, God needs to be the leader of that life. He needs to be everything that we we need to follow him in everything that we do. And I think sometimes in life, we try to put God in the gaps. But God should be at the forefront. And he should be all that we're about. Because I think that when we consider our lives, And if we are honest with ourselves, what's the most important thing in our lives? It's the thing that we spend the most time doing. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all the time fall short because we give ourselves, we give everything else and we sometimes give God our leftovers. So I would challenge us this morning that we would, as he says in in Micah 6, 8, Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and that the Lord requires you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is Pastor Nicholas with of edition of Utah. And now, today's ministry spotlight.
1: Well, I'm in the radio studio this morning with Dr. Stephen Lewis. Good morning. Good morning, Rob. <laughs> Dr. Lewis is... Uh here in the Bahamas as part of a, a missionary conference, and we're so glad that he and Shan, his wife, are here. This morning we're going to talk about uh, some of your experience in teaching precious Christians in other parts of the world, uh, what what you've seen in their lives uh, with respect to persecution.
3: You know, I think it uh, really comes to mind primarily our work in the Middle East. There's a lot of interesting persecution that's going on that was not as as prevalent in years past, uh, in 2011, the country of Syria went into civil war, and many of those people left. Right now, I think the estimate in Jordan itself has probably 600,000 or 1.4 million Syrian refugees that have escaped the persecution, uh, the government's persecution, not just on Christians but on on the civilian population in Syria that now live in Jordan. I think they estimate that about 650,000 are registered and they live in these camps that the United Nations and all the world has tried to kind of network together. And when you visit those camps, they've already taken these r- really beautiful white tents and they've put them together to make communities. They've opened stores. They have uh, uh, businesses. They have all these things within there. Uh, and just found probably in the last two weeks they've been flooded out, as many parts of Jordan have, because of the climate there. But the people that have escaped, I have one of my students, the first year I taught there, uh, he, he was uh, sent to Jordan to live uh, with an aunt or a grandmother uh, in Jordan, and his family, his mother and father, who are both physicians in Syria, stayed. And so he escaped in the in the dead of night as the tanks were approaching, and he made his way to Jordan. And he was one of my first students there, among many others. And he had uh, learned English, and he was a brilliant young man, probably in his mid early twenties. And just really hungry for god's word and uh and there are examples all through the the work that I do in the middle East uh we have friends in Lebanon that have Groups from Syria that have come out and they're being discipled there. We have many of them in Jordan that come to what's called Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary. They do their undergraduate work and graduate work. Now all the way through a DMin program, a doctor of ministries degree in Jordan. And these people, uh, many of them, all they want is to finally go back home sometime. Mm. There are some that say, I don't want to ever go back home. Some that either want to or want to move away have nothing left to go back to. Uh, we have one of the, two of my students, he and his wife, are from Aleppo, and when he graduated, he was going to go to Lebanon because the goal is, in order to take courses at the school, you have to make a, a commitment to go to an Arab-speaking country and minister. So they had chosen Lebanon, and yet when he graduated, he went back to Aleppo. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I got to see him because he... He's able to come out for some new courses in a, in his program and miracles that are told all the time on how the guards at the at the at the borders have let him through hmm. after others are not let to go through. So those are examples. There we find the same thing in uh, parts of India, parts of Myanmar, uh, parts of uh, of Africa, where there's persecution and other things going on, and it's just lot many of the these are caused by their own country's turmoil as all that they have, and all that they have on their possession is all that they bring with them. Hmm. And so they're really working at establishing a life, uh, an amazing way to do it in these new countries. And one day, maybe they will go back. We don't know. We've not seen that happen recently. As such, because Syria is still in a disastrous state, mm. but we have seen it in places as in the Ukraine and former Soviet Union. All the persecution that took place. Now it's not as heavily persecuted as once was, but new places are rising up all over. We talked once about sub-Saharan Africa, where Islam is making its headway in, and there are new mosques. And money being poured into these countries to convert them to Islam and to sway them away from the West's indoctrination of Christianity. And it's it's hitting a wall. Hmm. We're hopefully making some changes there. So the individual lives that I've met, uh, my wife and I met a young lady uh, that was thankful to have been in a refugee camp in outside of Jordan, still in Syria, because it was there their husband... Was somebody shared the gospel with him? He became a believer. Beautiful. And so, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of all these things, God's word is not returning void. God's word is doing its work, and it's going into places where you and I probably couldn't fit, nor share, or even go. And God is getting it done. So, persecution historically has has allowed the church to move when it didn't want to move and go to places, hopefully that where we can share more effectively than we have in the past. Yes.
1: uh, God's ways are higher than our ways, of course. And uh, he can use persecution of his children in the church for his higher purposes. When um, I was a younger uh, man, my grandfather grew some onions and, uh, he multiplied onions, and he pulled them out of the ground. And these onions sort of had uh, little uh, compartments to them, and he would break them apart, and he would transplant the part of the one onion, maybe six plantings, and they multiplied the onions. And I think sometimes oh. God works in the way of uh, multiplication looks like division.
3: Yes. To, to yeah, start, to start yeah.
1: with. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, that's that's wonderful. Would you say that? Um, That coming through persecution uh, in a general uh, common denominator has affected positively your students. Do you see the students who come out of persecution maybe studying differently than the ones who
3: do not have persecution? Well, you know, the ones that I've encountered uh, that came out of out of Egypt and or Iraq or Syria really did take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Though their questions were different than some of the others. When we were going through Paul's letters, like his writing to the Romans, and it says, be submissive to the government over you, they bristled greatly at that. So it took a little bit more explanation of how Paul was able to do it and he was under a regime of Roman tyranny that makes anybody else's persecution today look mild in comparison and when we shared that with them they began to see that and I would say I know right now there's five of my former students that came out of persecuted countries that are now professors mm. Teaching at the undergraduate level because they really—not that the others didn't take it seriously—they really wanted to do this. It's easy for us to, from the West, to say, "Well, persecution will help you; just live through it." That—that that sounds almost condescending. Yes, but knowing that, knowing that God can even use persecution is a great truth to understand. Absolutely true, and uh, to know that. Uh, he
1: uses everything for his good pleasure and for his purposes. Let's pray for those who are persecuted yes. this, this day. Heavenly mm-hmm. Father, we lift to you our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering um, any form or measure of persecution. We pray that you would draw them close to your loving arms and they would sense that underneath them are the everlasting yes. arms. We pray that they would find that in their weakness they see your strength. We pray, Lord, that they would be able to um, find relief in your will and escape in your will and shelter and refuge in your will. Lord, for those who have lost loved ones Mm -hmm. to uh, regimes that have killed Mm -hmm. their loved one, we pray that they would fix their eyes on things that are unseen, grace, mercy, heaven and not merely fix their eyes on things which are seen, because what is unseen is eternal, and what is uh, seen is only temporary. So we commit and commend these
0: precious brothers and sisters to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Today, our worship service begins at 10.30 a.m. in the sanctuary located at 62 Collins Avenue. We invite you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or write us at P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.